Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Welcome back, everybody. It's Gabrielle. And this week, we are talking to someone who has an incredible story. I am so thrilled that we are bringing on a guest who is not only talking about changing the world, but she is actually doing it. This week, we're talking to Kaylee Triller, who is an activist, she's a writer, she's a mom, and she fights on behalf of women and girls, focusing on the rights and safety of young women everywhere to be able to access safe bathrooms, to uh, be able to be well-represented, and she has done some really incredible work in this area, and I am thrilled to have her on this week. Kaylee, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So we've talked before we came on air here just about your journey of getting into this space. Right now you're working with an organization called Just Want Privacy, but it started so much further before just starting an organization to really get people together and move. Why are you so passionate about this issue? Yeah, I kind of fell into this issue. It certainly wasn't something that I was looking to get involved in. I didn't even know that it was a thing uh, until I found myself in a, a kind of a predicament. I was working for the YMCA of Pearson Kitsap Counties here in Washington State for 17 years in some capacity. And as their communications director, they asked me to uh, write some talking points to sell this new uh, policy that they were going to adopt. Um, and basically what they were saying they were going to do was to open up our, our locker rooms and our restrooms on the basis of gender identity. And I found myself faced with a, a predicament in the sense that this was not something I could do in good conscience. I couldn't make this sound like a good thing when I knew that it wasn't. Um, and I ultimately lost my job over that, a place I'd worked for 17 years, but I just couldn't do it. Um, and so that's kind of where I found myself. And I, I found a passion in this because I thought it was profoundly unfair, especially to women. It was just a dangerous thing. Um, and it wasn't something that I could just walk away from. So you literally lost your job because you wouldn't look aside and, and let little boys go into the girls' bathroom and vice versa? That's right. I mean, I had I'd worked, like I said, for the Y for 17 years. I was originally hired as a locker room monitor when I was 15 years old, which I find ironic now. <laughs> um, but over the course of those years, I had found and, and personally caught sex offenders uh, infiltrating our database, trying to get access to our members. I had filled out police reports after people had already been harmed. Um, and as a survivor of sexual trauma myself, this was just a non-negotiable for me because we had thousands of little kids going through locker rooms uh, every day for swimming lessons. And I knew that if there was some big open policy out there saying, hey, you can go into whatever locker room you want to, as long as you say that you identify as X, Y, or Z, um, I knew that that would be abused. Uh, and it just, it was not something, I mean, I, I signed a contract that said I would always act in the best interest of our members. And to me, that meant saying no, uh, where this was concerned. So I lost my job over it. It was very scary. I'm a single mom, so definitely not something I was excited to have to do, but 
um, when, when I pushed back and said no, and here's why, wow. I was ultimately told that I was being closed-minded. So that wasn't acceptable to me. Who knew that uh, safety and security also meant closed-minded right. to some, unfortunately. And this topic of the the gender bathroom issue is one which surprised me that it hasn't that it actually has been this fight has been going on for quite some time. I used to work in the California state legislature. And I remember having those bills come across my boss's desk, who's a state senator at the time. And I was just looking around my office like, you you are kidding me, right? There's no way that people are actually thinking this is a good idea. And here we are, fast forward five years from, from that point, and this transgender bathroom issue is everywhere. It's what everybody's talking about, and it's dividing households, it's dividing parties. And like you, it's like, we, we're really thinking that this is a good idea. So take us back to this point where, you know, you left the Y, you're then deciding, okay, I have to do something about it. How did you change? How did you turn that? passion and that need for justice into an organization and a movement? Well, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I prayed long and hard. I've got to tell you, I spent more time on my face over this because I just was so distraught about it. And I think God kind of moved for me because during this time, while I was struggling at the Y and trying to figure out what to do next, uh, I couldn't sleep one night and I stayed up and I wrote this journal entry and I didn't ever anticipate that anybody would read it. Um, But ultimately it was published by the Federalists, and it went viral. Um, And it was called A Rape Survivor Speaks Up Against Transgender Bathrooms. And it did so well that, you know, for the first six months after it was published, I would say that almost every day, I would get another email or a message from another rape survivor somewhere in the country with a horrible, heartbreaking story and a desperate plea, please keep fighting. And so it helped me kind of zero in. I mean, it was it was shocking. It was heartbreaking. But it also helped me realize, oh, my goodness, there is a huge need, and here it is. And, and granted, I think this bathroom issue affects both genders. It affects everybody, and, and everybody has a legitimate reason to fight and push back against it. But I think it has profound and deeply devastating implications for women, especially survivors. So it zeroed in on that, and, and I had all these survivors I had this core group of moms from the YMCA who were just fit to be tied and they were working with us. And so, I mean, it began as just this uh, statewide kind of group of inner people who were willing to push back and to go to the legislature and go to the Capitol. And we held a rally. I think that was the first thing we did. We, we held a rally to push back at the state level. Um, and from there, it just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, and so that's kind of the beginnings of before I found myself now. That is crazy. So maybe you can share a little bit more about what it is that you are doing now, the coalitions that you're building, the relationships that you're growing, turning what you saw as an issue, then joining with your peers and your colleagues. And now what you're doing is reverberating so much bigger than where you originally started, which is really so inspiring. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been quite, quite an adventure. Um, So like I said, initially it became a statewide thing. Um, There was nothing like this, and I should give you some context. There was nothing like this going on that we knew about in the rest of the country. And that's the way these uh, these policies are coming uh, to each individual state. It's always in secret. It's always by ordinance. Nobody knows it's there until it's too late. And so when we were looking around, we didn't know what was going on in North Carolina or anywhere else. We just, it was Washington. And so 
We tried um, to fight it. It eventually became a statewide law, not just the YMCA. Every, every organization in the state had to do it. So we tried to fight it legislatively. From there, um, we were unsuccessful. So we decided that we need to run a citizen's initiative to have the people make a decision because they didn't vote on this in the first place, which is also what you're going to see across the country. This is not something people ever vote on. It's just forced on them. Um, and so uh, Just Want Privacy is a group that I currently work for. And basically, we're a statewide organization um, to push a citizen's initiative to get this on a ballot so people can actually have a, a say in the laws that govern them. But through all of this, I met people from across the country. I met um, an amazing girl from North Carolina who's really active in their efforts, um, just people all over the place. And the most shocking have been these aggressive, like crazy cool, radical feminists, people that you would not ever necessarily think would align themselves with conservative Christians who also have some skin in this game. And so we're coming together to film, form these coalitions um, to fight this from a national perspective. Um, and so I've been meeting with, a, there's a lady named Miriam Ben Shalom, uh, Maya Dillard-Smith. These are, these are women that uh, people should know about if they are active in this movement at all, because um, we need everybody on deck to kind of help push back here. So what kind of victories have you seen along the way? I think you made a good point in saying many of these decisions are made in secret. These um, policies are pushed forward either by the organization, the company themselves, like what we saw with Target, right. or you know through local ordinances or even state ordinances, and people are, are blind to what this actually means. So where have you seen the biggest victories? The biggest victories to me are not what many might, you know, consider huge victories. But for me, my passion is in, in giving women um, the courage to share their own stories and to use their own voices. And I've seen that happen hundreds, literally hundreds of times now. Women who have these devastating stories who were never politically active before, but who said, this is the bridge too far for me. This is what's going to make me start speaking up. And they have. And just to see that emboldening in, in these people, it's almost like like an army of dry bones starting to rise. It, it's really what, what's happening here is that people are saying, no, this is it for me. This is This has crossed my line here. Even here in Washington State, as we were trying to get signatures to get this on a, a ballot here in November, um, we registered, I think, close to 3,000 new voters, people who previously did not care about politics, but said, uh-uh, for this, I'm getting up. So to me, that's that's success. That's incredible. Yeah. 3,000 new people who are alert politically because of this very fundamental issue. Right. Right. And it's it's frustrating, but it's also too inspiring knowing that there are those those hot button issues that people are saying, you know, that's it. When government finally makes a decision on, you know, who can share a bathroom with me, you know, that's when I'm finally going to stand up. And and that's incredibly encouraging. We're talking a lot about the, the high points and it's easy to see the impact that you're making, but what has it been like along the way? Uh, where have you either had, you know, doubts of like, what am I doing? Or, you know, I'm not qualified or, you know, who thought this was a good idea? Share with us your story and some of the struggles that you've been able to overcome. That's a great question. It's been hard. I mean, it, the whole road has been littered with both tremendous victories and 
and signs that God is moving and that he's with me. But it's also been so devastating. I think the first parts of it were really, really brutal for me, especially at the Y. I lost so many friends, people who I would regularly have like in my home, um, we'd have great conversations with who just completely disappeared. That broke my my spirit a little bit because um, these are people who you would think would know your heart. But that's what the the liberal media has done on this issue is that it's it's very effective strategy. Either you agree with us or you are hateful and you're a bigot. And so these like these key words, people don't want to be aligned with hate or bigotry. And so they're afraid to stand with you. And so that's been really, really difficult. I had to do a lot of soul searching and know that my heart was good. That my heart is not hateful toward anybody. Um, the activists on the other side are well-funded and they're aggressive. Um, I've gotten some serious threats, which are not fun. Um, it's also been hard for me, and it, you know, this is a sensitive topic, but I'm going to be brutally honest because that's how I always am, to see the what I perceive as apathy in the church. We had one volunteer ask, call over 150 churches asking for help on this, not you know, financial help, just, hey, will you have some petitions in your church for us? And seven said yes of the 150. Wow. Um, so that was really heartbreaking for me because I don't think that we can ultimately be successful if we don't have the people who are supposed to be, you know, aligned with the truth fighting for us. So that's, that's definitely somewhere we need to kind of focus some of our energy. I think figuring out how to equip the church to, to navigate these waters. I couldn't agree with you more. And it is interesting, if not sad, when you're, you're um, readily aligned with someone who doesn't share a worldview or even share a faith with you right? Like you're talking about creating coalitions with those of more of the radical feminist bent, but those who you sit with every Sunday morning feel uncomfortable about actually standing up and saying something. Do you know what's been heartbreaking for me? And I sometimes I cry talking about it. As I get to know some of these radical feminists and these hardcore leftist women, when I hear their stories about how they Either I, I talked to one the other day who was abused in a church, and when she brought it to the church, the church didn't do anything about it. These are people who are wounded. And the reason that they are so far on the other side now is because when they went to the one place they were supposed to go to for help, they didn't find it there. And I'm not saying this in a spirit of condemnation, but that can't happen. It just can't. So that's, you know, I, I've spent a lot of the last couple of months going to different churches and talking and and that's been a, a good experience for me. I, I think it does change things. We just have to have those conversations more often. I agree. I completely agree. And I'm thankful for you that you are brave in going and, and having those conversations. And it's one of those things that, yes, this transgender bathroom issue is ridiculous and um, crazy. However, I think it's forcing many of us who are responsive to say, why don't we actually step up and have a conversation about what's going on rather than just shoving it under the rug or just assuming that everything's okay when in reality, just to what you're saying, there are so many hurt and broken people and it's not, and we're all hurt and right. broken. I mean, I'm just as messed up as the next person. That's for sure. You're here. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. And I, and I think it's really powerful and I, and I see that a lot with, you know, with millennials in particular that were, 
when we go into church, we want someone who is going to be raw and honest with us. Like, I don't need you to have a crisp white shirt. Like, I don't need you to pretend like everything's perfect here. Like the more raw and authentic you are, the more I trust you. That's right. And that's not just from the pulpit. I think that that's, you know, in the pews as well, that we as a community of people of faith, we have to be willing to go to the deepest part of ourselves and our souls and, and, and share and be like, this is where I am and where I'm broken. Not just, this is where I was, you know, drunk in a ditch and God saved me. I think we've got the, that part of our testimony down, but I don't think that we're as honest and saying, and this is what I'm struggling with right now. Today, today, this is the struggle. You know, I was in a church this uh, last month actually, and I was just so moved and encouraged you know, they were doing prayer requests at the beginning. They opened with just congregational prayer requests, which I thought was great because it gave the the congregants an opportunity to be raw and, and honest and open. And there was a lady there and she said, I'm struggling. I fell off the wagon again this week. And, you know, and the, and the congregation just surrounded her and prayed. And it was a beautiful thing because that's what we need. That's what the church is for. Now, granted, we can't all be broken all the time, but to be able to when you are and to know that there's no condemnation, but let's let's circle around you and help you. That's what needs to happen. And I think a lot of the time the church thinks that that's what they're doing when they're staying a little bit quieter on these issues. Well, we don't want to be unwelcoming mm-hmm. to these broken people. I understand that. The reality is you've got a lot of broken people, especially women already in your pews every week, watching you not take action on this issue. I mean, it's it's not loving if it's not true. And you can't compromise truth in order to make people feel better. So I feel very passionate about this. I have a lot of ideas, um, but if you couldn't tell. but No, I love um, it. It's It's been eye-opening. That's incredible. So what would you, what's your message? What would you share with our listeners of what the problem is and what they can do about it? I think the problem is fear. I think people are afraid, uh, especially if we're just talking about Christians, if we're narrowing in there. Christians don't quite know what to do. Uh, they don't want to be unloving on one side, but on the other side, they know that this is dangerous and if we let it happen, it's not going to end well. And I would say, gosh, you know what's right. Speak the truth in love. You don't have to be hateful, but be brave um, and say, no, this is not healthy. I, I, we won't accept this and here's why. We will accept you, but um, but that seems to be kind of a lost art. And And I think people need to be willing to take a stand because guess what? If you don't take it on this, it's just going to get worse. Like, where does this go next? I don't even want to ask that question. I know. I know. If you would have asked me five years ago, if this was going to be a a national issue and that major corporations were going to be passing internal policies, accepting it, I would have thought that you were crazy. Yeah. But just, you know, a couple of months ago, that is what has been dominating our news cycle. So you don't know what the future holds, what we have in our in our minds now. Oh, it's never going to get that bad. Well, we we don't necessarily know that that's the case. And more than anything else, uh, it's a principle. And that's what is so important to continue to fight for. So I'm going to ask you the last question, which I ask all of my guests. Sure. And it's this. So Kaylee, if the 12-year-old version of you were to meet you today and see what you're doing, see what you're involved with, what would she think about it? Gosh, that question makes me cry a little bit. 12-year-old version of me was so lost. Um, I think if the 12-year-old version of me could see what I'm doing today, 
I may have missed half the steps that I needed to get to to get to today because I would be so much fuller and more complete as a person. I was a lost little girl who needed, I needed my version of me today when I was 12. I needed somebody to be that for me. And so it's, it's gratifying to see that the Lord has brought me to a place where I can be that for somebody else. Um, and because I know what it was like in that, in that dark, dark spot at age 12, I will continue to speak up because um, little girls everywhere need people. And that's us. It's our job. It's not somebody else's. I have a little girl now. So she needs, she needs a brave mama. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I just want to acknowledge you for the work that you are doing. Sometimes I'm sure it seems thankless and it seems like you're continuing to put in hours and and sometimes it's hard to see the bigger picture, Uh, but what you're fighting for and what you're representing not only protects our current generation, but as you said, the future generations as well. And so I just want to acknowledge you for your leadership and your voice and your influence in our generation. Thanks so much for joining us. And I look forward to following what you guys are doing. If someone wants to get in contact with you, follow what you guys are doing in Washington state, how would they do that? Yeah, there is a Facebook page. Uh, Facebook is a huge thing for us. Uh, Just Want Privacy uh, is the group. Uh, we also have a couple other groups, Keep Locker Room Safe and Sex Pacific um, is, is one you could follow. Um, but yeah, Just Want Privacy. We also have a website, justwantprivacy.org. Um, so we'll we'll be updating that pretty quickly here. So Perfect. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kaylee Triller. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to hearing good things from you soon. 